0: We'll take your Bibles, we'll start in Genesis chapter 1, go to Romans chapter 1, and from there you can stay with me as we go. Isaiah 41 after that, if you're keeping up. Continuing a series from uh, our young people, I asked them, I said, if you had one word to hold on to through the week, what would that word be? So that you could go out and just, anytime you thought about it, you think, well, I can do this. Two weeks ago, we talked about tough. And then Brady broke his arm and you know that was your sermon. You know, so you were tough, right? So that's it. So we're going to hang on. Last week was light, all right? And this week, this week is trust. Trust. The word comes to us from the cold, icy regions of the Nordic people who described the the strength of something like the the thickness of ice on a pond or a rope tying down a load to a sleigh. And they would say something like Well, it will carry the load and it's strong. You can trust it. Trust it. There was a missionary in the South Pacific who was looking for a word to translate that, that Nordic word in the South Pacific. So how do you do that? Well, how do you translate that if you're trying to reach them with the gospel and telling them that they need to trust God? A tribesman appeared at his door and the missionary asked him to describe what he saw. And the tribesman looked at him kind of puzzled. He said, well, you're you're sitting in a chair. The missionary pulled up both feet and asked what he was doing now. And the, and the native man looked at him and he smiled and he said, well, he said you're putting your full weight upon the chair. And it was that verb, to put your full weight upon, that the missionary used to translate the word trust as he was trying to convince people or... Are to share the gospel with them. Today I challenge us to make three decisions to answer two questions concerning trust. The first question Have I decided to trust that there is a God? You would take that for granted, I think, being here in worship, but in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, I think it bears that we need to go and share this with others. It's not just about us gathering here and celebrating ourselves for remaining faithful. We need to go out and we need to share our faith with other people. met a man last night at a gravesite. And he said, you know, you have convinced me that I need to go into the places where I travel. The the rooms where I go. The people that I meet in other places. And not to be ashamed of sharing the word of Jesus. And that's what I'm challenging you to do. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 tells us, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, you can argue the validity of that statement until you're blue in the face, but there there is simply no future in it. There is no hope of a resolution, only an individual interpretation of a set of incomplete facts. And if you want to take that discussion to that level, then that's kind of what you end up with. Romans chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. We're looking at it as people of faith, and we see the creation around us. We see the work of God. And those facts as we have them are evidence presented of a power producing an intricate design intended to function in a certain way, you must decide that God is strong enough to have done that and that you can put the full weight of your life on Him or not. Here's the payout. If you so choose to trust there is a God, that He is the one who created, designed, and and watches over this creation of His, You will accept that he has a path to follow leading to a future that results in a hope fulfilled. And that you are empowered by him to function as he intended and as he designed you toward those ends. If you do not choose to trust God as being strong enough to hold that for you or to bear up and provide that, then you have an existence that is without God. It is aimless except for the span of time that you have and it results in, well, nothing. It's time to decide if you believe and trust that there is a God. Second question. Have I decided to put my trust in God? Not that there is a God, but have I decided to put my trust in God? Carrie New in a sermon on trust asked, what was Abraham thinking when he set out with his entire family to go to a land he had never been to? Risking everything for a command he'd heard. I'm reminded in Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Where God says fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Who was Moses. To think that he could stand up to the most powerful king in the land, or to even attempt it after he had had so much doubt about that initial encounter he had with God. I'm reminded of the words of Jeremiah 32 and verse 21. It says, You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand, an outstretched arm, and with great terror. Or how about Paul, the apostle who went from place to place, prison to prison, Painfully misunderstood, but absolutely committed to proclaiming Jesus, the Jesus that so many rejected. I can hear him, as the Hebrew writer would say in Hebrews 13 and verse 6 so we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You need to decide. If God is strong enough for any circumstance, not that there is a God, but that I put my trust in God. I trust my life to this God and that he is able to hold you up through the choices that we make, the circumstances we endure, and the ordeals that we face. You need to answer with your trust and his ability to respond to your life in ways beyond human limitations. Third question have I decided to put my trust in Jesus Christ? Now, why is that important? Jesus is God to us in flesh, spirit, and purpose. Second Peter 1 and verse 1 shares this, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Peter, there was no difference. Jesus was God, God was Jesus. Jesus is the path to follow toward a hope fulfilled. He says such in John 14, in that beautiful passage that you've heard all of your life. Read with me John chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 1 and we'll skip down to verse 6 at one point. But stay with me. You're going to want to read this. If you haven't underlined it, just do so because it's so beautiful. Jesus looks at his followers and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. There is a place before us. A path to follow. Something at the end of this life and beyond. And then how do we get there, Jesus? Verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Can I trust Jesus to lead me where I want to be beyond this worldly existence? Jesus is strong enough to bear the weight of sins for the world. According to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is strong enough. It is he who reminds us that he has the power to forgive sins. And you go, well, what, 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 is, what purpose is that? Except in Luke chapter 5, verses 22 to 26, the religious leaders of their day said, who is this that forgives sins? And Jesus looks at them and he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins, I say to you, man who fell down, came down through the roof and can't walk, you stand up, you take your mat and you walk out of here. And he did. And if Jesus can make that man walk, he can forgive your sins. And not only your sins, but the sins of the whole world. Now that's strong enough. By his obedience to God's redemptive plan. As sacrifice for our sins. Out of love for all of us, he has certainly qualified himself as more than capable of our trust. Hebrews 12 and verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When I am convinced that Jesus is my God, my Savior, my hope, my advocate in heaven, that I can put my trust in Him as I put my trust in God, then I can say with others in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him against that day. Now we have to answer two questions. So far we've talked about you. Everybody likes to talk about themselves. If you don't believe me, just stand still long enough. When they start talking, eventually they'll say something about themselves and What their problems are and what their hopes and dreams are. And we've talked about you believing and trusting in God. And we've talked about you trusting in Jesus. But here's the question I have for you today. Could the God that I trust put his trust in you? Let's turn that around for a moment. We keep trying to convince people to put their trust in God. But what I want to know is can God trust you? Sure, we put it on the coins and God we trust. But I want to know, can God trust you? He wants to do so. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus tells us that he trusts us to carry the weight of our daily cross. It says it this way. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus says, you put your trust in me, I'm going to trust you to pick up your cross and follow me. He certainly trusts that we have the strength and ability to communicate his message by any means possible. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 22 and 23. Paul says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Jesus trusts you to take his message out into the world. We don't save it, we don't bottle it up, we take it out, we pour it out, we push that thing out, we share that word. Why? Because Jesus trusts us to do so. In fact, he left that message to 12 who then shared it with others and that thing multiplied. And he still trusts you to get that message out those doors and into the streets of this community. He has given us, his people, a work to do, a church to be, and changes to make. In Colossians chapter 3 verses 14 through 17 we read and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Can Jesus trust you? The last question we have to answer this morning. Could we as His church trust each other? Our Savior certainly thinks it is possible. We are taught to hold on to those who are weak. In Romans chapter 15 verses 1 through 3 we read, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build them up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. We are taught to carry each other's burdens in Galatians 6 and verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, we read, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We ought to be the people, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, who are the shining examples of the trust that exists between members of Christ's body, our faith family. He writes, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Preceding the 1988 Olympics, there was a, a program, uh, and it showed these blind skiers, snow skiers, being trained by those who had their sight. And they taught them the right turns and left turns, and then they took them up on a slalom course, you know, the one with the poles that you, you know, swim in and out of, swim, ski in and out of. And as they would go, the sighted skiers would, would ski beside the blind ones, and they would bark the orders, right, left, right, left. And the blind skiers would make it down the slope following the directions that they were given. For all the world, what I want you to hear this morning is that we have someone with us calling out the word from God. Go this way. Don't go that way. Say this. Don't say that. Be this. Don't be that. And it's Jesus Christ Himself. And here's the thing. With those blind skiers... In a world where we don't know where things are going, we have someone who has complete sight of everything around us, both backwards, forwards, and all around us. It's either complete trust or it's catastrophe. Trust. That's the word for the week. It's time to decide and be the answer for Jesus and to be the answer for each other. And that's his invitation to us this morning. If you need to be baptized and put your trust in Jesus, if you need to repent of sin, and have prayer. However we can help you. Who come to the front and make your need known. It's together we stand. And as we sing.